This is Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George, broadcasting on CFUR 88.7, and I'm your host, Stuart Parker. It is June the 21st of 2021. This is Stuart Parker broadcasting from CFUR 88.7. This is Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George. And as has been happening with increasing frequency, we are having another panel. Four Green Party experts, former candidates from coast to coast, are going to take us through the unfolding crisis in the GPC. So uh, joining me on the line is uh, Darcy uh, Lantier, uh, first time on the show, coming on from Prince Edward Island. Uh, she's uh, the former PEI rep on the uh, Green Party's Governing Council and uh, placed second in the riding of Charlottetown in the last federal election. Significant uh, achievement for uh, the Greens in that region. Uh, Alex Terrell is uh, returning to the show. He's the leader of the Green Party of Quebec and was briefly a candidate for the federal party's leadership in the last race. Uh, Cheryl Weems, regular friend of the show, joins us from Langley. Uh, Cheryl's a uh, former uh, Green candidate, scientist, parent, other good things. And finally, Wes Regan is back. Uh, Wes, the very successful uh, Green candidate in East Vancouver, but not quite successful uh, enough to have changed his job. Now, uh, big urban studies guy uh, for the city. So um, anyway, welcome all of you to the show. Thanks for uh, being in uh, the same call at the same time from all these different time zones. Uh, so I guess my first question to everybody is, I, I called this segment of the show the Green Party crisis. Um, is this a crisis? And if so, how severe can we compare it to other challenges? For instance, this party or other parties has faced what would be a comparable level of crisis or panic? Uh, so, uh, Alex, you have the most certain look on your face. Let's start with you. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be here uh, on the show. Um, the Green Party of Canada is going through uh, an unprecedented crisis right now. Uh, it's been eight years that I've been leading the Green Party of Quebec, and I've never seen this level of uh, discord um, or conflict within the federal Green Party. Uh, we have uh, a leader who has some very particular views on the Middle East and has pushed uh, one of our caucus members, uh, Jenica Atwin, out the door. Uh, she seems um, willing to even take the chance that other members of parliament could, could cross the floor um, for this very strong position that she has in favor of Israel. And I think that a lot of people in the Green Party uh, you know, would, would be willing to accept Annamie's personal position on uh, the Middle East as a Jewish person. But what we're seeing now is that this position is being imposed on people and people who have criticized Israel are being pushed out of the party. So I think that that's a big problem, especially since Annamie Paul had campaigned in the leadership race, uh, you know, saying that it's not the leader's role to determine policy and that it's really the, up to the members to decide the, the political direction of the party. 
uh, yet is failing to defend existing party policy uh, on Israel. It's an issue that we've had long, long discussions on. In fact, in 2016, we had a, a federal convention that was dedicated to uh, this policy alone. And so to really throw that out the window and to show such um, flagrant disrespect for the members of parliament and to really seem as if she doesn't care if they leave is, is something that I've never seen in the Green Party before. So we're certainly in a crisis now. Uh, Cheryl. Yeah, I had to think about that for a second. I think probably from Anna and me, Paul's perspective, um, she's just carrying out her, what seems like a bit of a, a plan to switch the membership to a more centrist membership, I would think, more professional centrist membership. But um, from my perspective, it's definitely a, a crisis. I think it was beginning to become a crisis actually before the whole Jenica Atwin, Israel, Palestine um, issue came up. I know that you know there was an issue with a previous executive director. Um, there was some uh, dysfunction long before this situation arose. This situation has just completely accelerated the implosion. Um, and um, you know, I think when you have you know thousands of members writing letters um, asking for the leader, you know, to basically apologize or step down, um, you have a leader that's not. It, it reportedly communicating with MPs um, that's, you know, not taking seriously threats from their uh, staff um, to work against sitting MPs. Um, and then also, you know, when you have a leader that's not respecting member approved, member driven policy in what's supposed to be a grassroots party, um, I, I think you can call that a crisis. Um, you know, we also are seeing EDAs decertifying and um, for example, in Esquimalt Saanich uh, Sook, you have uh, Dr. Lisa Gunderson, who is very close with BC Green Party leader, um, Sonia Fersino, is not, no longer running. Um, so I, I think it's a crisis <laughs> all around. Um, I, just, I just don't know that the leader would agree with that. Uh, Wes, what are your views? <clears throat> yeah, I think, um... The question for me is, um, it's, it's clear the party has some serious issues right now. And I think that either federal council and the leader um, can make that worse and dig the hole deeper, or they can try and change the channel, have a different discussion and move on. And I worry that they're going to be stuck in the past, in the actions of the past few weeks. And all of this demanding Anime Paul to write a letter denouncing um, Zatzman, all this stuff. That's just keeping everyone stuck in what happened a week and a half, you know, two weeks ago. And that's probably the worst thing the party can do right now. The longer they're going to drag out <clears throat> this moment, the worse it's going to be for, <clears throat> for Anime uh, and for the party's image. And I think that they need to, if they want to just um, get back on track with the business of trying to build momentum leading up to a, um, an election, they need to change, they need to change the channel and they need to internally do a lot of work. They can't air their dirty grievances out in media and have a, an air game. Uh, there's no resolving this, you know, tit for tat via media. They have to internally huddle together and try and work this out. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say that um, a lot of the things that have gone wrong were things where the opposition to Anthony Paul would say something, I'd predict on Twitter what that was going to cause. And then, you know, it's like, what do you think is going to happen if you do this? It's like, of course, she's going to call you all racists if you take make these moves. 
it. Uh, so Darcy, you were on um, federal council when uh, Anne Paul became leader. What's your sense of the level of crisis we're dealing with here? I, I certainly think that there is a level of crisis. Um, I was on federal council organizing, I was the chair of the convention committee who organized a good portion of the leadership race, um, which was of course to be held in Charlottetown at our big convention, which COVID ended for us. Um, would it have turned out differently? I don't know if we'd been all been able to go out and meet everybody, it would have been a different campaign. But Annie Paul is the leader of the Green Party. She was elected by the members and that was less than a year ago. Um, I think Annemie probably got some very bad advice from people who were telling her what the leader's job is without really being clear of what she should be doing to build her team and build it out and organize. And Annemie's been siloed pretty much even through her leadership race. She has some very intense gatekeepers who for some reason have set this strategy that it's difficult to communicate with Annemie Paul. And I, I hope that changes. I'm um, the entire uh, council that swept in last year is all, they came in as a slate and they're all sweeping back out again. There are only two seats on the federal council that are not up for election. So I think what happens to the Green Party is gonna depend very much on the council elections that are going on right now which council we do elect and how they behave uh, during, unfortunately, the current one is scheduled a, a, a policy meeting during, in the middle of what I expect to be a writ period. So uh, with the brand new council, it's like the, having been on doing that work on the inside, I'm just like, I wish it could, could we stop the bleeding now? It would be great to just you know, ease up a little bit and and see what's going to happen. The next two months are going to going to tell the difference. But once the party has elected a leader, then certainly she could use our support for the first year. Not that she didn't make a mistake; she certainly did. And I am one of the ones who wrote asking her to walk that back, and I hope she does. So <clears throat> now it seems there there are a couple of different directions we can go. I guess the next hypothetical I want to want to put out there is this. Um, it strikes me. I mean, I was, uh, I did um, recorded some radio with Michael Laxer a while ago. And I said, like, well, what are, what are the four things that can split um, a progressive organization in Canada? Because certainly climate policy, uh, wealth redistribution, things like that don't split progressive organizations. The four things that we decided on were um, the Uyghur genocide, Palestine, um, whether sex work is work and whether trans women are women. Those are your four things that appear to be able to um, destroy any progressive coalition if you ask it one of those questions. So I guess one of my questions here is if what do you think we would have ended up in this crisis were it not for what happened in Gaza? Is this a product of the sort of shrapnel globally that the last Gaza attack by uh, Israel, um, uh, that, that is, if that attack hadn't happened, would the party still be uh, in crisis? All right, yes. Wes. 
<clears throat> yes. And for two reasons. One is, you know, at the staff level, we haven't had an executive director, a, a steady hand at the, the top of the, the staff structure for two years now. Um, you know, our last executive director only lasted six months before, unfortunately, he had to leave, um, you know, for uh, unfortunate circumstances. And um, the party has generally been in a very um, tumultuous and chaotic place, and it hasn't been easy for staff. I was on federal council as well for two years, um, Stuart, and, um, you know, I saw firsthand, you know, some of the, the you know, the organizing model needs a lot of work. And th there's a lot of tension um, that was there already before, you know, Anime became leader. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of work that needs to be done and not having a steady executive director at the top of the, um, you know, the, the staff structure, I think actually has hampered a lot of that work. And, you know, one of the, one of the main jobs of federal council is to, you know, help secure that executive director position and work with the, the GPC fund um, and have a good working relationship with the executive director. That's, you know, of course, that's not as big news as like infighting between the leader and federal council, but there's real structural issues, you know, with the party in that regard. And then, you know, in regards to this specific issue, I think issues like Israel and Palestine have become a, have become a proxy for the broader challenge that the Green Party has today, which is that it is ideologically unclear to many people um, whether this party leans left, leans right, is centrist, and its policies can even be all over the map. And I think that, frankly, until there is some, you know, party discipline, you're going to see MPs and leaders disagreeing on things. We, you know, Elizabeth was, was a, a big champion of not whipping votes. I used to believe that that was a, a good thing. And now I'm actually worried that a lack of party discipline and a lack of ideological clarity about what the Green Party stands for is, is the bigger crisis behind this backdrop. Um, so you've got these two levels. One's at the staff level and the organizing level, and the other one is at an ideological level. And in a party that is in such chaos and instability has a difficult time getting either of those wrestled to the ground. All right, uh, Alex. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what uh, Wes uh, just said. Uh, you know, the, the party does uh, lack discipline. There's a constant uh, power struggle between left and right uh, within the party. And I think that one of the things that really made this crisis uh, come to the level where it's at is that Annemie Paul, you know, made a lot of her politics about fighting racism. And uh, people voted for her because they agree with that message. But if you look at the latest round of conflict in, in Israel and Palestine, 95% of the deaths are on the Palestinian side. There's dozens and dozens of children that have been killed. And the only way that you can come out and condemn both sides in this conflict is to work on the assumption that uh, Palestinian lives are worth less than Israeli lives. And I think that's a fundamentally racist uh, point of view. So to have somebody like Annamie Paul, who has made her political identity around fighting racism, come out and not be able to speak up for an issue like this really calls into question, you know, her, her fundamental credentials uh, for this job. And it really fundamentally undermines uh, her position in the leadership, because how can you come to Canada and speak about fighting colonialism and decolonizing and standing up for indigenous people and fighting racism and Islamophobia when you're supporting uh, a, a settler, a violent settler uh, racist state uh, 
named Israel. Uh, so this is a, a huge problem. And until we get, you know, a, a clear uh, left-right ideological direction within the party, these struggles are going to continue to happen. There's always going to be progressive people that are going to join the Green Party in the hopes of changing it and making it a solid left-wing option. So I really hope that we can get some some clarity around these issues. And I think that the leadership race, uh, you know, should have been the opportunity to do that. Unfortunately, we had a lot of candidates saying that uh, it's not up to the leader to determine policy and that they, you know, they're a little bit wishy-washy. In the end, it turned out to be a bunch of right-wing talking points. And that's what a lot of people are figuring out now that, you know, the, the candidates who were there who had strong platforms that stood for things, you could sort of tell which direction they were going. But the other candidates, like Anna Paul, who refused to answer many, many questions throughout the leadership race, uh, you know, came into a progressive party, but has a slightly right-wing agenda. Uh, Cheryl, your thoughts on uh, whether we would be in this were it not for the offensive in Gaza? Yeah, so I guess um, I think had that not occurred, we likely would have survived uh, this degree of crisis and until after the election, perhaps that everybody you know doesn't know is happening, but suspects is is happening, um, and um, which would have been preferable to be honest, because then we could have get, got past the election, uh, the federal council elections and that sort of thing, and then maybe had a better ability to deal with it after the fact. Um, but it still would have happened. I think this issue has been festering since, since Elizabeth May um, threatened to quit over the whole thing. And um, then, you know, in the last leadership race, Dimitri almost wasn't able to be a candidate. Um, many people suspect was over this issue. I don't know that for sure. Um, you know, I, I agree that the federal Green Party has to decide, like, what are, what are we? Are we a centrist party? Are we a leftist party? Are we a worker party? Um, what is this about? And um, it, it can't just be that we can be on any part of the spectrum and just address climate change. It's not good enough. We need to be standing for human rights everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think this issue would have absolutely um, come to a head. Uh, just hopefully would have not happened before the election. Uh, Darcy, your thoughts. What's the inside-outside balance here for causation? Hopefully, it wouldn't have cost us the only M the only Green MP on the East Coast. So I do mourn Jenica, and I'm quite annoyed at her at the same time. Um, so that's kind of a that's a hard spot to be in. Um, but if you look at a little history of the Greens on the East Coast, you know David Kuhn won his seat, then Peter Bevan Baker won his seat. It, provincially, and then we've elected more Greens since until we're the official opposition on PEI. Federally, in uh, 2015, we only got one seat that got 10% of the vote and earned that election rebate that lets you help, lets you build for future elections. And that one seat was Fredericton. We came a little bit close in the Malpec. We just hit, I think, five or 6% in Charlottetown. But that first seat to, to, to hit that bar, that 10% bar, was Fredericton. So when we elected a Green there in 2019, really, I think, after the 2019 election, when you look, 20 out of 24 Atlantic Canadian ridings got more than 10% of the vote. Hence, we all got that election rebate. Like, 
I had to get the message out to people that don't close your bank accounts. The federal government's going to put money in them. Elections Canada is going to put cash in your account. Like, just hold off. Because we had some people running zero campaigns that ended up with cash in their accounts and then had to have audits. It was a completely different situation for those of us who've been organizing on the East Coast for so long. And, um, you know, we had three second place finishers. Clearly, we are expecting to do even better this election and building on Jenica and, and the, the three of us who came second last time and the other um, 17 who, came, who earned that 10% and had some money for building. So um, for us, the tragedy is, of course, Jenica Atwin. And whether it was all related to Israel and Palestine, I don't know. But I've always been you know, really proud of our position, our official position on Palestine, the same as our official position on the doctrine of discovery. To me, occupied, occupied we're always gonna stand with the occupied instead of the occupiers. You know, the Greens repudiated the doctrine of discovery in 2016 Now I was in the room. It was unbelievable to, to have all come together as a group to do that. And I too agree with Wes mourning the internal uh, politics of the Green Party because what we had at the helm was, a, was Emily McMillan who held the Green Party together through the entire build through, I think she served for 12 years and we lost her immediately after an election. And we've been internally in chaos pretty much ever since. You are listening to Missing Peter Zosky and Prince George on CFUR 88.7 on your FM dial. I'm Stuart Parker, and I'm hosting a discussion of four former Green Party candidates, uh, Cheryl Weens in Langley, Wes Reagan in Vancouver, uh, Darcy uh, Lantier in Charlottetown, and Alex Terrell in Montreal. We're uh, talking about uh, the crisis that uh, the Green Party of Canada is um, in the midst of under Anime Paul's leadership, touched off by uh, the uh, recent um, Israeli Defense Force offensive in the Gaza Strip. We now rejoin the panel. So um, there are a few directions I can go. You've opened up a lot there, Darcy, but I think the first one, uh, the first one I'll go with is, um, is this. Um, now, uh, on the one hand, the Green Party, you know, takes a, uh, takes a strong position in its policy in support of, um, uh, Palestinian efforts for freedom. Um, but what is, um, is the Green Party, uh, is, is the Green Party a party that should, that is where there's a place for Zionists and uh, Palestine solidarity activists? Or is it useful for the party to continue to court both constituencies? This is an issue that I went through with um uh, my institute, and um, we felt that because of the way the left is splitting over these four issues, that we would we would make sure that no one felt unwelcome, even if they disagreed with our position, 
if they took a strong uh, position otherwise. So we just, um, so we have, you know, so our treasurer is a um, fairly, um, um, fairly outspoken Zionist. Is there, if we move, if we somehow end up in a situation where we have a leader who is following party policy on Palestine, how welcoming should that leader be to environmentalists or socialists or trade union activists who happen to also be Zionists? Is there a place for Zionists within the party? And uh, maybe we'll go in a slightly different order, maybe throw it to Alex uh, first. Uh, what do you think? Sure. So it's a very, uh, very interesting uh, question. And, you know, personally, I think that there should be ideological consistency throughout a party. Um, you know, of course, when you're a leader, it's always uh, easier to look the other way on, on people's problematic views. It helps you increase your number of candidates and that sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes you have to make tough decisions where there's people who would otherwise be good candidates, but that hold uh, very particular points of view on, on important issues. And if you, you know, in my opinion, if you want to be a party that's committed to, to fighting racism, you have to fight it everywhere. You can't be cherry picking and say, well, certain communities we're going to defend and others we're not going to. Um, as to whether Zionists should be welcome in the, the Green Party as members, I mean, you know, there's always room for, for a healthy debate. Um, but what we're seeing right now is uh, sort of enemy Paul, you know, saying that anybody who criticizes Israel is not welcome and that any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. So it's very polarizing debate. And I don't think that it's the, the left that, you know, or the pro-Palestinian side that is making this, uh, this debate so polarized. I mean, I would never have expected to see a member of parliament pushed out of the party, you know, for a single tweet uh, criticizing Israel after they'd killed so many people in, in the previous weeks. Um, so it, it's, it's really, uh, you know, difficult issues to, to get around, but I think that there should be ideological consistency within the party and it takes strong leadership uh, in order to set that sort of direction. Uh, Darcy, what do you think the place of Zionists is in the party? A lot of people join a party or vote on sickly on one issue and one issue alone. So if that's their major issue, they're probably happier with the Liberals party, with the Liberal party, because the Liberal party actually holds the same position as Zatzman does. So I don't know how Jenica is going to be very happy there. Um, so if that's the only issue you're voting for, it's like if the only issue you have is to restrict women's reproductive rights, then you probably don't belong in the Green Party either. Like if that's your only motion, that that's the only issue you're going to vote on. But um, you know, I do think I think of the Greens a very progressive party. I think of myself as pretty left. I'm I'm one to stand up and swing that sort of justice, uh, social justice, uh, uh, pretty with a pretty wide swath. I'm not afraid. Um, uh, and I do think you know trans women are women and women have rights. And these are things that if you want to run for the greens or speak for the greens that and you know palestinians are in an occupied territory living in an apartheid state and and i would say that greens would be against that um that anime paul is not it's quite a surprise but surprise to me but um again she's the leader she was elected and it was not very long ago so we would always have um, in our constitution, we have a, an opportunity for leadership review right after every election. And I think if we're going to do that, 
that's when it should occur. It's after every election in which you do not become prime minister. So. Yes, I wrote that clause. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, 1996, how long ago? Uh, so uh, Cheryl? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I don't, I don't want to say Zionists shouldn't be in the party at all, because I do think it's important to always be keeping an open dialogue, to be considering, you know, new facts or new events as they emerge. Um, but at the same time, certainly the leader cannot be so clearly um, ignoring uh, the Green Party, like their own party's policy. And um, yeah, I agree with Darcy that, you know, it, it may not be that people who that's their prime issue uh, and they are on the pro-Israeli side. I feel like that's not a great fit for the Green Party of Canada. And, you know, maybe we can handle that from the, you know, members, but not party representatives. Um, and certainly when you take the issue so far as to threaten sitting MPs, well, you know, there's the door. And, and that should have been the response of the leader. And um, it, it, it's, it's just a real shame that we've allowed this issue to be so divisive. So uh, Wes? So in theory, the Green Party is the party where people with very different positions on issues should be most comfortable because the party's own resolution process, as you would be familiar with, Stuart, uh, its procedural process referred to as green rules is a consensus building mechanism designed exactly to accommodate differences and find a synthesis of ideas, policy ideas that are consistent with green values. So by design, it, yes, it's a smaller party, but it's tried to tie down or stand up a big tent using these sort of consensus building procedural processes as, as, uh, as a vehicle to do that. But if you, were, if you were a leader, and I think this is fundamentally different here, you know, yes, in theory, there should be space in the party, whether you're a Zionist or whether you believe in the Palestinian cause, whether you believe in a two-state solution or whether you have other ideas, you should be able through these mechanisms the party has created to have substantive dialogue, meaningful dialogue with people about different, uh, different opinions, different policies, um, and work towards some sort of constructive resolution. But it's another thing entirely for a, a leader or for a member of parliament, for that matter, to not show party discipline and to be sharing personal opinions about really heated policy matters, as opposed to being a representative for the party and, and putting forward the existing party positions and, and the policies. Back to Alex's point previously, you know, this lack of discipline in the party was shown by Jenica Atwin as much as it was by Annamie Paul, because it was Jenica, don't forget, that really started uh, this brouhaha um, by tweeting, you know, that the comment was completely um, uh, un unsatisfactory or, or, or insufficient. Um, well, that's, you know, I think that that's the sort of discussion that should have been had internally. That should have been an email. That should have been a phone call, probably, uh, not not a tweet. And so this party, you know, we were, you know, it's a we're here with a a young party with new MPs with a a leader who's never been leader of a party before. And I think all round, there's this sort of lack of discipline and and 
the elected leaders, uh, the, the MPs, enemy, I really think need to get back on script by looking back at what our policies are. And when you're talking to the public, the Canadian press corps, or you're tweeting about things, let's just try and be consistent. What are the policies that membership by consensus building mechanisms have come up with and not just tweet randomly from the hip about the things that you feel strongly about? So um, uh, I think uh, one, of the, one of the things that I find curious about green the discourse around green politics is that it's like the issues that greens talk about right climate change you know became an issue in the media in the 1890s and yet green and yet whenever it shows up in the media it's something we've just discovered right it's always just happened and the green party similarly is treated the same way the party is somewhere between 42 and 38 years old um there are political parties that have been formed formed governments and disbanded in this country in those four decades. The Green Party is the same age the NDP was in the year 2000. Um, so it's actually been around for a while. And I've noticed certain patterns in green political history, not so much in the Maritimes, uh, Tarsi, but in my time as an observer, I found that the Greens are generally like a Mesoamerican blood cult, that um, what happens is, um, the leader serves, there's a bunch of people around the leader, that court collapses usually because it's lost internal legitimacy somehow. Um, and then there is this process where huge portions of the party's membership and records and finances are destroyed during a succession crisis. And then a party slightly discontinuous with the previous one comes into being around a new leader. And I think there's some notable exceptions there. There is clearly a, a peaceful transfer of power from Jim Harris to Elizabeth May. There was clearly a peaceful transfer of power from Jane Sturt to Andrew Weaver in BC. But mostly it's like my transfer of power, right? These accusations seem like nothing to me because Adrian Carr's people um, accused me of dislocating a nine-month-old baby's arm on live radio. They accused Art Vandenberg of being a child pornographer while he was running for city council. Um, the, uh, you know, my board was accused of 12 different indictable offenses and sued twice. So, um, and that's sort of what I've come to expect of a Green Party transfer of power. And so I'm wondering, so it strikes me that there, there is something that in some ways, this is actually a reversion to a political norm uh, that goes back to the 1980s, that there was something really special about Jim Harris, that when his preferred successor didn't win, he transferred power to Elizabeth May and did everything he could to support her, even though they had different positions on a lot of stuff and were not close. I'm wondering, is there, is this a thing that is, um, how, how much is this sort of a cultural problem with eco-politics, with these big resets and these um, volatile transitions, or um, have we just hit some, uh, some bad planning and luck here? Okay, Alex. I think uh, a bit of uh, stability is uh, very important for uh, for green parties. I can speak from my experience in the Green Party of Quebec. 
Uh, we've existed for 35 years and um, up until I, I won the leadership, the party had changed leader in every single election uh, over that period of time. And I wasn't around for most of them, but uh, for, from what I understand that each time, uh, you know, the, the leadership changed, uh, as you're saying, it was a completely new group of people that came in. That's certainly what happened when I took over the party back in 2013. And, you know, it's, um, it's unfortunate that, you know, sometimes people are not able to get along or, you know, are, are not interested in supporting a new leader and that sort of thing. And there, there's always some ideological differences. And I think that, you know, often what happens is that the, um, the, the people who become leaders are often critical of the previous administration. Like once there's been a leader that's been there for a few years, well, it's easy to, to draw some criticisms and then to, to come in on a somewhat hostile approach. Uh, myself, before coming, becoming leader of the Green Party of Quebec, I was uh, at least a little bit critical of the previous uh, leadership. So I think that's one of the things that, that makes it difficult. Another thing that's difficult for the Green parties is that any kind of infighting that we have is amplified by the mainstream media. Uh, in Canada, we have a, a mainstream media that looks to sensationalize any kind of difference of opinion between people within the same party. Um, and it makes it very difficult to have, um, for example, uh, not have whip votes or not have party discipline is that the media is constantly looking to find people in parties that have different positions than their leadership. And when they do find this, they make a big deal out of it. And they, ch they change these, they take these stories and they try and commercialize them to sell media, to sell clicks and to sell newspapers. So it's something that's very difficult. And I think that you know, in the Green Party, like, unfortunately, the most newsworthy thing that we can do is get into a big fight, you know, and that's what's happening now, is that with this crisis in the Green Party, it's the most newsworthy thing we could ever do is have like an MP cross the floor, and then the leader have a meltdown in, in the aftermath. Um, so, so there's some, you know, systemic factors that make it, uh, you know, difficult for, for Green Parties to have uh, stability over time. And at the federal level, we were, you know, somewhat lucky to have uh, the, the same leader over a long period of time. But now we see that the transition away from that uh, is very difficult. And I think that it's also made uh, somewhat difficult, you know, by uh, having Elizabeth uh, remain in the House of Commons under the new leadership. Uh, you know, some people suggest that she could have given her seat to, to Annamie Paul. Uh, there seems to be now friction, open friction between Annamie and, and Elizabeth May. So it doesn't seem like we're having um, such a peaceful transfer of power, I guess uh, you could say, uh, despite the fact that, you know, Elizabeth had, had sort of chosen Anime as a successor and helped her quite a bit uh, with fundraising, that sort of thing, and visibility during, during the leadership campaign. So we're really in a, in a difficult situation and the, the media environment is not making it easier on, on it, the Green Party whatsoever. Other folks, is there a culturally distinctive problem here? Cheryl? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's another good question. And I, I think maybe it is a, a symptom of us, you know, not belonging in this first past the post um, kind of political arena, right? Where, where we're trying to do politics differently, but yet the system is totally set up to force us into these same patterns, you know, negative campaigning and, and all this stuff. Um, and, um, and so, you know, and also the unwillingness to sort of peg ourselves along the typical left right political spectrum, um, you know, the desire not to whip votes to have, um, you know, candidates and, um, you know, elected MPs or, or MLAs 
able to represent their constituents over the party. And I think these are all very um, honorable goals and policies to have, but um, in many ways, it makes it very difficult in the current system that we have. And so, yeah, and I, and I do think, you know, trying to um, manage a grassroots party, but yet not to have contradictory policies or some wackier maybe policies. It, it's a balance. How do you how do you achieve that? you know without um, being too top down or you know shutting um, some opinions out? And so I don't think we've got it yet and hence you know the very rocky transitions. Um, but I, I think it's worth, continuing to try to be different. Um, and, and I hope we can find a way to do that successfully. Les, is there a green cultural problem? Um, I've, you know, I've been thinking about this the whole time as, as everyone else has been answering. And I, I don't know if it's any worse really in the Green Party than other Canadian parties where you have factions and you have cells or you have charismatic leaders and whatever else, or you have bumpy transitions. I think, I think the bumpiness stems from a lack of capacity in the party to be able to handle transitions, whether it's at the staff level or governance level. And I think that that, you know, exacerbates any tensions that are in the party when you don't have a strong stable because of fundraising or because of maturity of party volunteers and staff and whatever, these other parties have these more built up firmly established structures in which to manage a transition and green parties by and large have have had fairly weak institutional strength in that regard but i think that um that cheryl really touches on an interesting point which is culturally if you want to speak speak about the party in, in a bit of a broader sense the party almost behaves um is almost designed like a party that would have more of a functional role in a proportional representation type government the lack of party discipline the lack of clear you know placement on an ideological spectrum that's the kind of party that maybe if you pick up eight nine ten seats and you're in a minority coalition government situation maybe your mps can be effective go-betweens between different parties that are along the ideological spectrum and maybe you can actually play a role in some sort of coalition type government like that. If you want to form government in Canada, that's not the kind of party you want to design. You want to design a party that has a really firmly, firmly established regional base, like the Conservatives have in Western Canada, or like the, the Liberals have had traditionally in Atlantic Canada, or uh, you of course want to you know wrap up the, the 401 uh, you know, all the, the suburban uh, Ontario votes and whatever else. And then you can duke it out in the cities like the parties do. But without a really strong regional base that's going to be there for you every single time and without some consistent uh, party discipline, you're, you're probably not going to form government in a country like Canada. And I think the Green Party has to fundamentally grapple that culturally it's designed itself into a corner. Um, with this type of party um, belief in itself, um, it, it wants to have it. It wants to have its cake and eat it too, and that's just not going to happen in a federal first past the post electoral system and a regional political culture like Canada has. So, uh, Darcy, I'm, I'm hoping that in answering, you can also give us a little more detail because I don't know um, the um, a lot of the local culture and history of the Greens in your neck of the woods, um, and so. I'm interested both in, you know, whether the Green Party has this problem nationally, but also like just what the culture of, um, of uh, maritime Greens is around questions of succession and the like. Well, 
I can speak for PEI, of course. Um, my good friends, uh, David Doughton and Jeremy Stiles, who are both still very active in the party, formed the Green Party of PEI with Sharon Labchuk as the first leader. Sharon and I have been friends since like 1987. Uh, we went to an environment conference in um, Montreal together or Ottawa together. And uh, back when Paul Martin was the environment critic and my MP uh, was the environment minister for the progressive conservatives. So we go back quite a ways, <laughs> Tom McMillan in Charlottetown. Um, I was the interim leader of the Green Party PEI when Sharon Lapchuk stepped down um, before we nominated Peter Bevan Baker as the leader. I think that, they, I think that everything went quite smoothly. Um, most people stayed on provincial council over that transition period and it went well. Now, um, of course, <clears throat> how, it, how it works after Peter Bevan Baker, I don't know. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's a bit of a rock star here in Prince Edward Island. We're, uh, we'd be loath to, to imagine the future without him, but it will come. So, and it's the same with Sharon Labchuk. So it's the same with Elizabeth May. She had a huge broad base of support, um, but I think the media was just getting tired of her just answering the questions when asked. And, uh, you know, eventually the, the only media we could get was when something went wrong. And this is, this has always been the case for the Green Party. It's not okay to just step up and answer the question and have the best policy and actually be trying to prevent complete planetary destruction. Um, you know, that's just not enough. But it's only when we make a mistake, of course, boom, it's on the front page, it leads to national news. I think Jagmeet Singh, Jagmeet Singh had a very similar experience in this stepping up as the leader of the NDP in the last election, where he was a complete unknown and, it, and his own party was, was uh, there was a lot of, if you search the hashtag resign, <laughs> resign Jagmeet, I think you'll probably find there was, there was a lot of that going on at the same time, but he's worked through it He's come past it. He's, he's been a, a great, very effective leader for the NDP. I don't know if Anna Mee can recover from this position that she's in now. I hope so. But you'll see that they definitely did turn that around and, and, the, and now he's running in his second election. And um, I think things are gonna be going very smoothly for them. So uh, I just had to, to note as a, uh, for those interested in green political history, both Peter Bevan Baker and David Doughton were on the original party slate in 1984. That's Peter right. was David running Doughton. in Ontario and David was running in Malta. David Doughton, he, he, was, um, he was the first green in Atlantic Canada and uh, on, on the ballot for, for the Green Party of Canada. And up until just recently, he was the CEO of my EDA. Uh, we have, uh, We've graciously allowed him to retire because he said, as romantic as it sounds, Darcy, I don't actually want to die in the saddle. <laughs> Retired, oh. David Dunn. So now the, the question that um, I was wondering whether to ask, and then Darcy talked about all the reimbursements. So it's pretty, like people never believed me at the time, but in hindsight, I'm, my narrative often becomes the narrative. The um, PR referendum campaign in Ontario 2007 was looted, right? People came in, they looted the coffers and they left. And two weeks in, there was no money left in any of the accounts. Somebody had just walked off with a million dollars. And uh, when we look at the 2018 referendum campaign on PR in BC, 
um, looters showed up. I went, look, looters. And people went, oh, looters, let's give them our money. Um, and again, people pitted proportional representation, ran ads deliberately designed to make it less popular and looted the coffers and walked off with one and a half million dollars. Um, surely, it's interesting, isn't it, that the Green Party's achieved this tremendous financial windfall and that its leader, its new leader, immediately requested a very, very, very substantial salary for herself, um, far higher than anyone's paid, paid to lead any party in this country at any time, except briefly when Brian Mulroney didn't have a seat. Um, but I can't think of any time since 1983, uh, a party has just sort of opened its wallet like this to the leader and a small cadre of people around her. So I'm willing to ask, um, is it possible that the culture of credulity that progressives cultivate to show themselves to be willing to accept new people and not be suspicious, is it possible that you're just being looted, that this isn't even a policy dispute? Are you, you're suggesting that Annamie Paul is looting the party? Stuart? Yes, I think. What, what if Annamie Paul and Noah Zatman are just looting? What if, um, what if this isn't even sabotage? What if this is just, oh, look, a progressive organization is getting a whole bunch of fat checks it hasn't seen since 2006. Um, I wonder how much it would cost, cost to get this gig. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's, it's established fact, right, that the referendum campaigns are looted because they're, they're, they are places where everybody has no experience. They don't know how to handle money. They're trying to build, build this big tent overnight and they, you know, fling wide the doors and welcome people in. What if this is, um, or what if this is a, um, what if this is intentional sabotage? It seems given that there was like only one MP west of the Georgia Strait, you know, only one MP on the mainland of Canada, and now they've, and, and the advisor came in and it's like, well, my objective here, my primary priority is to reduce the size of our caucus by two thirds um, and kick the party off the Canadian mainland. Can we not consider, must we act as though everybody is acting in good faith here? And if, is there a point, what threshold would this have to hit for us to argue not disagreement but actual bad faith. Darcy. I can't comment on the money because there have been no financial reports issued by the current council in over a year. Like I have no idea. And I was the chair of the, of the finance committee for two years. I was on it for four and there's been no financial statements released. There's been some people who've been on council for the past year who've not seen a financial statement. So I don't, I'm just going to assume that they're not setting out to loot the party. Um, and I'm gonna give everybody the benefit of the doubt on that. Though as a concerned member, possible candidate, a financial agent here in the Maritimes, um, I would really feel a lot more comfortable about everything if I could see the annual statements, at least if they were, just give me two quarters. I'd be happy with two quarters. Uh, I, I think it's just Lance. evidence. 
I think it's evidence of just back to your earlier question about how, how bad is this crisis? I think it just goes to show how bad the situation currently is in the party, um, you know, governance wise, where things are so bad that you can make an assertion that perhaps it looks like it looks like deliberate sabotage because that's how toxic and bad things look. I don't think Annamie and her people are in there deliberately trying to sabotage the the party. Um, maybe trying to shake it up, maybe trying to attract new people, uh, maybe trying to show a strong position and say I'm not going to take any crap and I'm going to you know I'm a strong leader and I'm going to stand up to your bullying and maybe you know there's a lot of that going on uh, and maybe a lot of people across Canada are going to like that. And maybe all this stuff with Annamie showing that she is tough and she's going to, you know, be a, a strong voice on positions. Um, maybe that's going to actually turn a lot of Canadians on because parties to some degree have become these cults of personalities where people, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a candidate on the doorstep and you're riding, they're voting for Elizabeth May in 2015, or they're voting for Trudeau, or I'm voting for, you know, Jagmeet, even though they're, that's not who your candidate is. You know, our Canadian politics has become so conflated with the American style of politics where you think you're electing a, a, a prime minister like, the, like they elect a president in the US that I think that much of this is going to boil down to do a lot of Canadians identify with a strong, you know, woman of color, um, Jewish leader of a party who's not afraid to like stand up and like, you know, not afraid to, to put on a, a strong face and show that she's got thick skin and she can take the attacks. Who knows? Maybe that's going to maybe Annamie is going to attract a lot of new people to the party. And maybe that's part of why she's putting on that that um, persona, whether it's a persona or whether that's just, you know, who she is. But I don't think she's deliberately coming in and trying to sabotage the party, Stuart. I think the party's just in a really, really volatile, bad space. And she's just really trying to withstand the chaos around her. Uh, Cheryl, what, what's your take? Oh, sorry, Alex, go ahead first. Sorry, Alex, then we'll, we'll finish with Cheryl. I, I was going to say, with, with respect to, uh, to Annamie getting uh, the, the salary of an MP, I think that, it, it, again, it's a problem with the structure of the party because... Uh, if the party was properly structured, like the leader's salary, you know, would have been determined before the leadership race. And in fact, if it was announced that the person who won the leadership race was going to have the salary of the MP, there could have been other people maybe that would have been attracted to the position. But we had a leadership race where there was no salary on the table, where people had to take the risk that they might, you know, get this huge public role and then have to get by without a wage uh, for, for what could be a, a few years. So I think that that uh, you know, it was a, a bit of um, a governance issue there. With respect to, uh, to sabotage, I think that only time will tell, but it seems very clear that, uh, you know, Anime has the objective of, as her advisor says, of, you know, purging the party of anybody who is not a Zionist. Uh, I think that if she had campaigned on that in the leadership race, there's absolutely no chance that the members would have given her this mandate. Uh, so, you know, she's certainly straying from uh, the, the mandate that, that she asked for. Uh, and, and imposing these things. There's a lot of people who have criticized Israel within the party who have a lot to offer the party. You know, Jenica Atwin, Atwin is one, Dimitri Liskaris is another. There's many people in the membership that have, that have spoken out for human rights. So to say that all these people will be purged, all these, you know, really good, solid Green Party members and candidates are going to be purged and replaced with Zionists, uh, you know, raises a lot of questions. So Cheryl, we'll leave uh, you to take us out on the bad faith question. Oh, well, that's a lot of pressure, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. But um, so I don't really like to get into people's heads and predict what they're thinking so much. 
But I will say that um, on Twitter recently, in the last couple of days, I came across a recording of some leaked audio where a staff member asked Annamie Paul a question. And in her response, she seemed to admit that she thinks that while we may lose some people from the party from all of this, we will gain other people. And that seems to me to be the bet she is taking. And so she thinks she can attract more maybe pro-Israel, establishment-friendly, um, centrist types to the party who like that more corporatist, um, top-down approach to political parties. And um, maybe she's right. I mean, it certainly doesn't work on me, that approach, but maybe other people will like it. I don't see why they wouldn't just vote liberal. But um, so, so I don't know about bad faith. I certainly think she has an objective and she's, she's definitely gonna keep going in that direction. Um, and I, I, I wanna say that I'm also totally in favor of um, healthy compensation for people who are devoting full time to a political party, particularly the Greens. Um, but the lack of transparency here and the, the alleged amount that she is receiving, I think are, are excessive and um, the transparency needs to matter, needs to be resolved quickly. Well, I wanna thank you all very much. Um, it was great getting um, honest takes from a group of people who have, um, you know, a real track record as, uh, as Greens. So um, whatever problems of institutional continuity the party may struggle with, it's, um, it's great to talk with a group of people who, ha who have that continuity with the party and can bring the perspective that you guys have brought. So thank you again and uh, much appreciated. Thanks for having us, Stuart. That's been Thanks, uh, very nice to go East Coast to West Coast this morning. Let's try it again sometime, perhaps over happier news. All right. Hey. All right. Thanks. This has been another broadcast of Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George on CFUR 88.7, co-sponsored by Los Altos Institute, L-O-S-A-L-T-O-S dot C-A. Thank you.